Hello, and welcome to our Children's Rights in Action podcast series. Here at Children's Parliament, we believe that children should grow up in a world of love, happiness and understanding. Our mission is to inspire greater awareness and understanding of the power of children's human rights and to support the implementation of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, the UNCRC, into Scots law. We're looking forward to sharing this with you through our conversations. Today, we want to focus on how we make children's rights real through the lens of kindness. Hello and welcome to our conversation about kindness. This is one of our series of conversations that Children's Parliament is hosting in the year of childhood. And these conversations are about a number of themes that are part of our work with children, exploring their human rights and thinking about the characteristics of rights-based relationships. So as well as talking with children about kindness, we also explore empathy, trust, and the core idea of human dignity. And joining me today to talk about kindness is Ben Thurman from Carnegie UK. Welcome, Ben. Hey, thanks, Colin. Lovely to be here and really appreciate the chance to be part of the series talking about kindness today. Great. Thanks for joining us. And just before we get started on our kind of theme, as you know, we are interested in children's human rights and the experience of childhood. Would you mind telling us a wee bit about your childhood? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in North Yorkshire um, in a small village of about 100 people. Um, we had no shops. We did have a pub and we had a bus that you could ring through on a sort of request call every now and again if you wanted to. So I think, yeah, definitely, at least my memory is that um, that meant that we spent a lot of time, um, family, brothers, sisters, um, running around in the woods and the hills. And I think um, both of those things, that sort of... Um, small community feel where you know your neighbours and you feel a sort of sense of belonging and connection to the place and that sort of like constant yearning for nature and wild places uh, two things that are definitely sort of stuck with me um, today from my childhood experiences. Right great uh, so jumping ahead <laughs> to where we are now just before we kind of do focus on kindness or, or drill down into that a wee bit. Tell us a wee bit about your professional practice, about what you do and what Carnegie does. Yeah, so I, yeah, I work for Carnegie UK Trust and we're a um, foundation that was set up at the beginning of the 20th, uh, 21st century to improve the lives and well-being of people across the UK and Ireland. And, um, you know, that's obviously um, taken, could take a wide range of different forms and it has done over the last 100 years or so. And I think the the thing we're probably most known for is um, the work that we've done to build public libraries, um, which you'll sort of see across across the UK. Um, today, our sort of mission is to improve um, societal well-being, which we do through policy and practice innovation. So my role is sort of policy and research side of things. And um, you know, by societal well-being, we we sort of talk about a vision where everybody has what they need to live well, both now and in the future as well. So that incorporates the sort of future generations of, of children as as well. Um, and you know, so a lot of our work is sort of trying to better understand um, what this means for governments to really sort of put that understanding of well-being into the way that they make decisions about policy and practice and, and also sort of diving a bit more deeply into um, some of the more specific issues that affect our well-being so you know we've got strands of work on um, digital inclusion which has obviously been something that's been felt even more 
important over the last year or so that we've been spending on Zoom calls like this one. Um, we've you know uh, uh, got some policy areas looking at um, what what it means to incorporate sort of well-being into our understanding of good work. Um, so work on on libraries as well. Um, and, and one of the things that I've been sort of most um, sort of involved in since I joined the trust is this conversation about about kindness and um, really, I suppose, exploring how kindness can be a part of achieving um, sort of improved outcomes in communities, so improving community well-being and improving well-being at a societal level. Great. It really does. I mean, I'm interested in your work because it has felt like a conversation. You know, it has felt like something that's developed over time, which is a really interesting approach to get people speaking about something. So why kindness? Like where did that kind of come from as a, a focus? Why does that feel important? So I, I suppose it, you know, it came from that sort of recognition that you know, people do better when they experience human relationships with each other and, and human connection. And you know that's that's true in our communities, and, and we know that those kinds of what sort of research evidence um, around the importance of those everyday relationships that we have with the people around us, and we might, you know, the, the kind of the conversations we have in a stairwell or over a garden fence, the um, smile we give to someone at a bus stop that we see every day, the local shopkeeper, all those kinds of things that we take for granted. Um, and, don't often notice are really quite important to our sense of connection and belonging and our, our well-being as individuals. And they also, the others, important in and of themselves, but they also allow other things to happen. So they provide the kind of like conditions for informal help and support to happen in certain situations. And that's, you know, I think particularly over the last year, we've, we've seen um, that this is true and, you know, the way that communities have um, responded and looked out for each other and helped each other out through the course of the pandemic. But it's not just sort of communities, it's the, um, we, we know that relationships are at the heart of improving outcomes in our public services and organizations as well. And there's a whole, range of evidence that if we kind of you know, enable kindness in our organizations so that the people that we're working with feel listened to and, and cared for, you know, we actually achieve better outcomes. So we've also kind of been exploring what needs to happen um, in order to sort of give people the, the trust and permission to bring kindness into their everyday interactions with customers and patients and service users and colleagues and whatever their sort of setting is. And, you know, of course, the two things aren't separate you know because the you know, behaviors of our organizations um the way they interact with the people around them has a has an impact on either kind of encouraging or inhibiting kindness and relationships in our communities so i think it's that <clears throat> sort of recognition that relationships are really at the heart of our well-being and at the heart of what really matters to people and that's certainly not something that is um, a new or radical finding and it's probably something that we all recognize if we take a moment to think about it and there's a lot of other people who've been talking about the importance of relationships but I think what we've found is that there's something about that word kindness that allows us to have a slightly different conversation because it is a word that everybody feels some sort of connection to it's a word that we've all Sort of grown up with since we were children and something we'll recognize as important so I think it has allowed us to have a slightly different conversation about 
what matters to us and what matters to society. Um, and it's probably worth at this point talking a little bit about what we actually mean by kindness, because that's always the question that we get asked. And um, and I think it's not it's not an easy one to answer because it you know it is a it is a subjective thing and it sort of depends on our experience and context and what you know what is kind to you might not be kind to me and um, you know what is kind to me um, in ten years time might feel quite quite different so there is that kind of um, it, it's, a, it's a fluid concept and it's not easily kind of operationalized. And I think that the other part of it is that it's, um, it has a certain voluntary quality um, and, you know, kindness of, acts of kindness are things that people do for another person that they don't have to. And that's kind of, that's where the magic is, if you, if you will. Um, so as soon as we tell somebody that they have to be kind, it kind of, changes that sort of unobligated voluntaristic nature. Um, so it's not an easy thing to define, but we have kind of started um, talking about kindness in terms of three different levels to try and navigate a bit of a way through some of this complexity. And the first one being that sort of random acts of kindness, which I'm sure you've sort of seen all over like social media and those kind of simple, easy things we can do, um, sort of positive messages, smiles to strangers, those kinds of things. Um, that are quite often anonymous and obviously by their nature random. Um, so they don't kind of like discriminate who, who they're doing to and, and why. Um, and positive actions, but you know, have as much kind of benefit for the giver as the receiver in a, in a lot of cases. I suppose we've been more in our work, more interested in what we called relational kindness, which is about really um, engaging with the context of other people's lives and noticing when they need a bit more help and support than usual and kind of responding accordingly. Um, and that's, that's what we think is um, at the heart of kind of improving well-being outcomes, um, which is our sort of focus. Um, but we also have kind of recognised that we only tend to tend to do this to people who are who are like us and when we find it much more difficult to be kind to people who are different and um and also when we feel tired or stressed or under pressure as well so we then started talking about this kind of third level which was radical kindness um and you know radical kindness really demands that we reach across some of these differences and uh, act in kindness indiscriminately um, and particularly that we do it even when it feels difficult. And I think suddenly that makes kindness, which, you know, the first time you hear the words feels like something that's, you know, kind of soft and fluffy and really easy to do. Um, you know, suddenly that kind of challenges us to really think and behave differently. And for our organizations, it means, you know, putting kindness at the heart of everything that we do is really quite challenging and requires us to sort of rethink our systems and structures um, and, you know, change, change our sort of priorities. And so it, it changes from this kind of nice, easy idea that we've all kind of grown up with to something that's really quite radical and transformational. Right. And what kind of, or how have organizations or systems responded to the, either the relational stuff or the radical moving towards the radical kind of kindness you've talked about. How's that gone down? How's that? That's, that's a really good question. So I think um, you know, we did a, 
bit of work with um, Julia Unwin a couple of years ago, um, which looked at um, kindness in public policy, um, and she called it the blind spot in, in public policy. And I think it's sort of, yeah, it's really important to kind of recognize at the beginning that, you know, everybody that goes into organizations, you know, teachers, social workers, nurses, whatever, you know, they do so because fundamentally they want to help people and they want to act in kindness and they want to do that in their work. And that's why they're in these professions. But there are things within our organizations, um, things in the sort of systems and structures that we've created um, that sometimes make it more difficult and that sometimes kind of squeeze out the space for kindness. Um, and so in this work, you know, Julia talked about um, the, the rational and the relational. And so there's a whole load of rational things that we um, use to make our decisions and um, things that we do to manage risk in our organizations and to ensure professionalism um, in order to kind of guarantee that you know we deliver services that are safe and transparent and fair and you know also things that we do to manage performance and kind of set targets and deliver outcomes and um, really make sure that we kind of ensure efficiency and value for money and you know all of these things are really important um, but we you know we also know that the things that make a difference to people and just any kind of like personal experience that you've had with a, a teacher or a GP or whatever it's not the it's not the transaction the, the thing that they did it's it's the way that it made you feel and so we know that it's really the, the relational side of things that are really important to people and so we need we need both because we need our you know organizations to be safe and transparent and all of these things but we also need them to engage with the reality of human beings lives and act with kindness and humanity and if we focus too much on the rational at the expense of the relation we're going to you know kind of end up delivering some quite transactional services that don't really meet the needs of the people that we're delivering them to with and for um so it's it's been it's difficult because it's about you know kind of challenging the way that we you know manage risk um, the regulations that we put in for like safeguarding and child protection all of these things that are really important um, in order to give people in our organisations the freedom the permission the flexibility to kind of um, work with people in a way that is underpinned by kindness but i think you know what we've what we've noticed particularly over the past year is that a lot of these conversations that we were having beforehand that felt really really difficult have suddenly become possible um because you know the pandemic has you know required us to respond at pace so we can't rely on the same old systems and processes um kind of you know rigid frameworks that are quite slow moving we've had to rely on the skill and understanding of the people in our organizations and it's just um kind of one really kind of small example to illustrate this from um some of the people we worked with in um, north Asian council who um we've worked with over a couple of years to try and you know embed kindness into the way that they do things and one of their community hubs had um, you know, been, been phoned up by a, I think a single mum who was 
in receipt of food parcels and their cooker had broken down and it was a, it was a Friday afternoon. So, you know, they had all of this kind of, uh, you know, dry food, raw food, fruit and vegetables, etc., that they just wouldn't be able to cook in any way over the weekend. And this was, you know, lockdown one, so, you know, they couldn't get help from anybody else and they'd, and they'd called up the community hub. And one of the community development workers had taken that call and said, right, well, we'll just go out and we'll we'll visit this person and we'll take the, we'll buy a microwave from the local Argos and we'll take it round and you know they can use that and cook a meal over the weekend for for the kids and then we can sort of address the bigger problem after that and that just felt like such a simple easy thing to do that kind of responded to what that person and family needed at the time. Um, but when they told us, they're like, we've never been able to do that before because you'd have had to go back to your senior managers and you'd have had to like fill out a procurement form and that wouldn't have come back until the Monday. And over that period of time, you know, this like family have been having to eat, you know, crackers and cheese and not been able to have a, a hot meal. And, and so just a little bit about that kind of being able to give those people who are interacting with individuals and families every day that kind of freedom and flexibility to respond in a way that is underpinned by kindness and that just really engages with the reality of people's lives rather than having to um, make their decisions based on our you know their organization's procurement processes and health and safety procedures etc mm -hmm. and so I think there has been we have seen these kinds of um, changes just starting to come into our organizations over the last year and I suppose well, at the moment it's it's less less about what do we need to do to create organizations where kindness is a kind of operating principle but how can we sustain some of the things that have become possible over the last 12 months um, and we've you know, we've been working with a, a leadership network of organizations who are sort of on a journey to um, and, and have identified kindness as something that's important to them and this um, 16, 17 organisations across England, Scotland and Wales and one of the things that we're sort of co-creating together at the moment which we're hoping to launch in the summer is a, is a commitment to kindness which kind of sets out a set of key principles and goals that organisations will, will work towards in order to ensure that kindness is something that wasn't just for the pandemic, but actually sustains it to the way that we sort of live and work in the future. It's just kind of striking me when you're speaking that if we just asked ourselves, what's the kind thing to do here? Yeah. We might get a different answer, whether we're a professional person or a neighbour or, or somebody else. It kind of helps you step away from your bureaucratic reaction or your being fed up with somebody or, you know, it's quite a powerful question to ask yourself. It is, and it's not. Um, it, it's not easy. It, it doesn't always lead to easy answers, and I think it's um, you know, it's kindness is quite risky, and it's it's much easier to um, you know kind of rely on yeah the bureaucratic processes because it means we don't have to engage with somebody else's emotions, and we don't have to reach out and connect with them and know that you know what it might it might go wrong, and we might not get the reaction that we expect. So it's not. It's not easy, but it is a way to perhaps help us kind of 
navigate some of these really difficult questions. And um, I think just yesterday, um, we published a report called um, Digitally Kind, which was based on um, some of our digital inclusion work. Um, and, and they sort of noticed that sometimes there's a kind of tension between the digital policies that organizations have to kind of ensure safeguarding, et cetera, and the, and the practice that you would do to you know, kind of like deliver the, the best outcomes for people. And so we, you know, we heard lots of sort of questions like, you know, if, if I'm a sort of like, you know, professional and I'm contacted by a young person on my social media account out of office, what is the, you know, what do I do? Because, you know, there's a policy that says you shouldn't engage with people on your personal social media account, but actually depending on what the kind of contact is and what the message is, there might be kind of safeguarding concerns for that particular young person. You know, there might be a need to respond even though the policy doesn't allow you to. So just kind of bringing in like kindness as a way to kind of navigate a way through some of these quite difficult tensions um, yeah, can be quite a powerful thing and it, you know at its heart as you say it is it doesn't always lead to easy answers but it is quite a simple question to guide everything that you're doing you know what is the what is the kind thing to do and if that was me what would mm. how would I want to be treated yeah so it's a moment to pause and in some ways it can give you a, a different kind of script I don't want that to sound false but it gives you a different place to start an engagement or a response which might still be can't discuss much with you on social media, but are you okay? Or you know, yeah, kind of... yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, but the it, it's probably not unkind to just ignore the message in most situations, even if your organisational policy tells mm. you that that's exactly what you have to do. But... How have the sort of general public, if I can call people that, how have, how have people bought into this conversation that you're creating around kindness? Well, I think um, it's it's been been interesting how it has sort of grown over the last few years. I think um, you know, first of all, there was a kind of slight suspicion about whether kindness was a um, sort of serious topic to be talking about in, in general, but in like particularly in sort of like public policy, but. I think there were, in terms of sort of general public, the you know the we we started using this word because it was a word that people um, that that resonated with people, and you know, when you like particularly in in Scotland, I think there's kind of you know cultural things around the, the words that we use in different places, but particularly in Scotland, when you ask people what sort of community or society they want to live in like kindness is is so often a word that that comes up um as, as something that people want to want to see, yeah want to see in their sort of day-to-day -day lives um and you know to the extent that it is a it is yeah it is now a question in the scottish household survey like whether you think that your um community is a, is a kind one i can't remember the exact wording but you know just recognizing that it is something that's that's really quite important to people and yeah, again, that to sort of like draw on our experience over the last year, that's just become so much more like prevalent in our sort of public conversation about how important kindness has been to 
helping us collectively get through a really quite challenging year and it's been you know something that not counted but I would be surprised if any of Nicola Surgeon's daily briefings haven't included the word kindness at some point that, and that sort of like recognize that it's something that um that people have really responded to um and so I think it is a it is, it is a word that people use generally, but I think it is something that has been growing and we're sort of starting to see a movement building around kindness, around this word and around the, um, you know, kind of our sense of community and connection being really quite important. And I think that's quite exciting. That's um, one of the, one of our sort of really early findings about, uh, yeah, things that we've understood really early on about kindness was that the more you talk about it the more you notice it the more that sort of changes your own behaviors and actions so this whole conversation creates sort of a ripple effect um moving outwards and it does sort of really kind of build a, a movement in our life of its own so that's quite a, a powerful thing i think yeah indeed and you know that as children's parliament we are we're kind of delighted about incorporation of the un convention on the rights of the child into scots law and we talk, obviously, we talk about children's human rights. And we talk about kindness as being part of rights-based relationships. But how does, uh, what's kind of Carnegie's view or work? Have you touched on this idea of, of kindness as a right? It's putting it kind of quite crudely. We don't say that as such either. But can we link kindness with rights, do you think? Um, it's, it's a really interesting question. And... I think I think you're right that you know kindness is a part of rights-based relationships. I think that's quite a um, a good way of sort of phrasing it. And it's you know kindness is definitely a sort of core part of you know what 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 we need to have a sort of live a good life and a good childhood if you're focusing on children particularly. Um, and you know something we you know, that everybody sort of like recognises is important. I think. I think when you start to think about kindness as a as a right in individual kind of interactions, that becomes quite quite difficult in in some cases. And I think just sort of going back to um, what we were talking about earlier about kindness being um, subjective and different to different people in different contexts at different times. Um, I think that perhaps makes it difficult to put into a sort of rights-based framework because it isn't about ensuring the same kind of um, entitlement to everybody. It's about sort of creating a situation where um, you know, people kind of bring kindness and relationships into their everyday interactions. So I think it might be difficult to kind of ensure that kindness is a right in kind of individual interactions but there is something about um, that ambition and expectation that people experience a certain level of kindness in their sort of community lives and that they experience a sort of certain level of empathy and understanding when they interact with public services in general um, and you know if that's not the case then there's more work to do and that's something that has um, I suppose been recognized in, in Scotland in the national performance framework where at the you know the center of 
that kind of well-being framework it says we're a we're a society that treats everybody with with kindness dignity and compassion and that kind of so that that not sort of like um stipulating that as a right in individual interactions but just as a vision that everybody experiences that in their kind of like day-to-day lives and experiences in in scotland um so i think yeah the um that sort of language of values and rights like is quite a, an interesting one that i probably need to think about a little bit more but um i suppose yeah i think it is kindness could all, almost be a way to complement rights and because we know that relationships matter we know that it's not just what we do but it's the way that we do it and whether kindness can help us in kind of delivering services because it does focus more on that experience and and the way that we do things than the transaction itself then maybe that's a way to kind of bring it into our sort of rights-based relationships rather than kindness as a right itself. Great, that's been really interesting and it's making me think a lot about how we work with the idea in our rights-based organisation talking about rights-based relationships and how we help adults whether they're parents or professional people how they think about their relationships with children what those kind of yeah what those relationships are like they're not just transactions they're based on values and behaviours and experiences. So, yeah, kindness is important to us too. So I think we'll leave it there, Ben. Thank you. That's been really fascinating. Uh, as an organisation, we really appreciate the work that Carnegie UK are doing on this and we'll, we'll keep following it. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thank you ever so much for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about our work, please visit www.childrensparliament.org.uk. Thank you.